Judges chapter 7, verse number 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. They blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp of the Midianites. And the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host of the Midianites. And the host fled unto Bethshitta, to Zarephath, and the border of Abel-Meholath, unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. We'll stop reading right there. Pick up some before and after this. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we may experience the, the showers of your blessings. We're worthy of not more than a drop. But we plead, Father, that you would uh, fill this building with your presence, and that you'd fill us with your blessings and your power. We pray for revival here in our community, in the northwest part of this country. Lord, we pray for a moving of the Holy Spirit throughout your dominions. Glorify yourself. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Gideon fit the battle of the Jezreel Valley. You know where that is? It's, it's got another name. It's Megiddo. Uh, here's Jerusalem. Here is Nazareth. This is the Valley of Jezreel. Right there in the middle of the country. <laughs> the biblical account of Gideon and the fleece, followed by this epic battle against the Midianites, will always be a favorite with Sunday school children. It has all the elements for a memorable story. The bully is defeated by the little guy. The huge army of Gideon is cut down to just a handful. And uh, they fought with swords made out of trumpets and lamps. It has eye appeal. It has ear appeal. It appeals to children. But it should also touch the mature Adult saint of God, there are some epic lessons in here, and I don't know if I can convey them very well this evening, but I'll try to share one or two. I hope these messages on faith are not becoming redundant. Uh, I know and I admit there is some repetition, because in truth, these principles aren't particularly complicated. There aren't a whole lot of them either. Essentially, we are people in need, and when certain conditions are met, God steps in and meets those needs. But as we look at Noah and Abraham and uh, um, Joshua or Gideon, we see these 
essential principles from different points of view. And those perspectives are important because until the Lord comes into our lives the way he did into their lives, we still need to hear these things. We still need to study them. We still need to grasp them. We need that faith. In regard to Gideon, let's consider the need of the faith, the leader and the weakness of that faith, and then the victory of that faith. First, we begin, as we have several times already, with the need. But here's a lesson perhaps you've not seen as yet. The need of faith often comes incognito. It doesn't come right up in our face and say, you need me. It comes in disguise. In Judges chapter 6, verse number 1, we read, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. We need faith. Because we need God's blessings. We need God's blessings because we have problems. And at least seven times out of ten, we have those problems because of our own sins. The Midianites are in the land because Israel was sinning against the Lord. Over and over again in the book of Judges, we read words similar to, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord. This looks good to me. I think we ought to try it. But it was contrary to the will of God. In this case... We aren't specifically told, but it appears to me that the sin of Israel was some sort of idolatry. The people were becoming more and more like the idolaters around them. They were becoming more worldly. So God, Israel's God, not the Midianites' God, Well, maybe he was the Midianite God. They didn't recognize him. God brought several enemy nations into the land, plundering and destroying the property of Israel. We've read that before under other circumstances. The Midianites and the Amalekites filled the promised land like swarms of grasshoppers, we're told in one of the other verses here in the context. Like grasshoppers. There were so many of them, it may have been difficult to determine who were God's people and who were the people that belonged to Baal. And that is a description of American Christianity. Can you tell the difference? We're surrounded by Midianites and Amalekites. Where are the Christians? Well, they're here somewhere. We should be able to see them. The difference between professing Christians and Midianites is getting more and more difficult to distinguish, and it's not because general society is improving. It's because Christianity is degenerating, becoming more and more like the world. Last Wednesday, Brother Austin pointed at the spiritual poverty of Post Falls. Ironically, the next day, Judy and I met our new family doctor, our old one 
quit the practice, so we had to find a new doctor, and we finally found one here in town. And we each sat down with this woman individually for an hour. We had a, we had a really good time. Judy, I went first, and then Judy went in later, an hour or so later, and we spent some time with this lady. And it turns out that she is an attendee at the megachurch Real Life. And she was telling Judy how blessed Post Falls is to have such great churches in our community, which is not exactly what Austin said the night before. I think he said something quite a bit different. <laughs> That is the problem right. with modern Christianity. Yes. We can't see our problems. Even the Lord's churches are starving. They've been robbed of God's power and blessing. They're living off spiritual junk food. They've lost the taste for the real things of God. Yes, there are lots of leeches sucking the life out of Christianity. We have governments and education and we have uh, uh, the internet and this and that and the other thing sapping our strength away. And we can blame all of these things, drugs, the entertainment industry, whatever, but our spiritual poverty can't be put on anyone else's shoulders but our own. We are in the problem or we are the problem. We need to see the hand of God. We need the power of God. We need to see the beauty of God. We need to see the glory of God. But we don't. Why is that? And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Later in chapter 6, the Lord graciously sent a prophet into Israel to point out the problem. When the starving Israelites cried unto the Lord, starving physically, the Lord sent a man which said in God's name, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. When will today's Christians admit we do not live in a Christian country. This is an Amorite territory. This is... Uh, uh, it's heathen country. Yep, yeah. When will today's Christians stop fearing secular gods and start fearing the Lord as they should? Government's an example. Why do we fear the government? How should we define the word fear? Does it mean to be afraid of what the government might do to us? It can mean that. Or does it mean worship and honor the gods of government in the way that we are supposed to fear the Lord our God? I wonder at what point during the seven years of that tribulation God sent the prophet was it year two, year four, year three? How many years of poverty and degradation passed before we come to chapter six and verse number 12? Once again, I see God calling the nation, generally commanding them to repent, but nothing happened. 
that prophet wasted his time. He did the Lord's will, so it wasn't a waste of time. But it accomplished nothing as far as Israel was concerned. They went on in their unbelief and their idolatry until the Lord set his sights on another man, not a prophet in this case. God set his sights on one man to establish him as a judge and to save Israel. Revival came to the nation through, again, one man. Who will it be next? Eventually, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Until we recognize that we are spiritually poverty stricken and in desperate need of God's blessings, we will never realize our need to trust the Lord. Perhaps Gideon was on his way to seeing the first things we have need. He's still got a long way to go to get that second thing, that faith. And with that, we consider this future man of faith. Gideon was as much a part of the problem as anybody else in Israel. He was from a family where the truth of God had been corrupted. The worship of Jehovah had been polluted by the idolatry of Baal. Verse 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God on the top of this rock. Gideon and Israel had a form of godliness but they lacked the power thereof because they had permitted the well to become poisoned. If I can put it this way, they called themselves Christians, but they used the world and the traditions of men in their worship and service. Their music, their worship music was Midianite. Their Bibles were Midianite. Their prayers were Midianite. Everything about their religion had become just like the Midianites worshipped. Even though they may have said on the top of this hill, we're worshipping Jehovah. They weren't. So God called upon Gideon to bring Israel back from the brink of destruction. But Gideon has to be brought back first. Of course, the Lord in his omnipotence and sovereignty has the ability to use anyone and any kind of person to bring about his glorious purpose. For example, the man Moses, Numbers 12, 3, the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. And Joshua didn't even possess the courage that Moses had. And yet the Lord used Joshua. Gideon certainly was not the 
alpha dog in Israel. He was a nobody. Like Joshua or Gideon, you might be the next person to bring about revival. You might be the next judge. According to Hebrews 11, there's Deborah out there. You might be a Deborah. About the turn of the last century, there was a 14-year-old boy who was smaller than most of his uh, friends. 14-year-old boy uh, who wanted to be a soccer player. I mean, a football player. But the Lord had other plans. And that teenager, by faith, shook Scotland to its core by preaching repentance and faith. God was glorified in that country through a heaven-sent revival delivered by a boy in short pants, of all things. Going back to Gideon, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor? Mighty man of valor. The Hebrew word is translated strength, valor, power, and force. But most often it is translated army. The Holy Spirit had earlier used that word to describe the people of Jericho. It was filled with mighty men of valor. And what was this man of courage, strength, and power doing when the angel came up to him? He was hiding like a mouse. He was threshing out a little bit of wheat, hiding behind a wine press where the Midianites hopefully wouldn't be able to see him so he could have a little wheat to share with his family for some food. He was no mighty man of valor, except in the sight of Almighty God. There's a difference. Potentially, he was a leader of a victorious army. By faith, he could be a great man of valor. The only thing holding back the Gideons of today is not a lack of strength, not a lack of power. These aren't ours. It's a lack of faith, a lack of willingness, a lack of surrender to be a Gideon, to become a Deborah. Gideon's faith at this point was weak. It was as weak as water. It was in need of some development. Verse 17. If now I have found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that thou talkest with me. And the angel of the Lord said, all right. And Gideon ran off to prepare a small sacrifice. And when it was prepared, the angel, the angel of the Lord, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, touched it with the end of his staff, much the way Moses had done several times. There arose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes of that sacrifice. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. 
And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. The more I study the great revivals in the Word of God and those of Christian history, the more I become like Gideon. As much as I yearn to see our Israel delivered from the hands of the Midianites, the more I tremble just a little bit. I want to experience the presence of the angel of God. But knowing how unworthy I am, deep down in my heart, I, I fear contact with him. And I fear what he may ask me to do ongoing. I'm a bit Gideon-like. But this is exactly where we have to begin. This was Moses. This was Joshua. Here we have Gideon. Have not I commanded thee, Joshua? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So Gideon, seeing the miracle of the fire, stiffened up a bit and offered a couple of his father's bullocks, or one of his father's bullocks, to the Lord. He tore down the neighborhood idol to Baal, and he took a chainsaw to the trees that were around it, making that knoll, that little hill in the neighborhood, bald. And there, uh, he offered unto the Lord. All the neighbors could see what was going on by this time, and they were not really pleased with that. Not very excited. By nature, Gideon's faith was still weak. It seemed to go up and down and up and down and up and down for a little while. So he presented to the Lord his infamous test of the fleece. We read that scripture this morning. Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry all on the, upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so. Yea. For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. I know that we should trust the Lord. I know that we should believe every word that God speaks. His word is good. Blessed be the Lord that giveth rest unto his people according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. 1 Kings 8.56 I know that we should instantly latch on to every promise and every word of the Lord. But I also know how weak I am. And we all are. The Lord is aware of our weakness, yet He is so kind, so patient, yes. so gracious. Yes. He did not need to put up with what Gideon was asking Him to do. But He did. What a blessing.
We needed this Gideon. The Lord was going to use this, this Gideon. And Gideon said to God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. I will speak just this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. At that point, Gideon became committed at that, which should have provoked the Lord. The Lord said, all right, I will give you this faith you need. And God granted a victory of faith. You know the rest of the story and probably the history after that. Prior to the episode of the fleece, Gideon was able to rally a great number of men out of the northern tribes of Israel. But the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. So he ordered that anyone whose heart was not fully committed, fully engaged, anyone who was timid or fearful, they could go home and no one would think any, poorly, any more poorly of them. Is that the right way to put it? The potential deserters ran from the field. And the army of Gideon fell from 22,000 to 10,000. But that was still too many for the Lord. So the number was then again reduced to 300. And what was the reason for the great reduction in numbers? Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. I think I can say this without the least bit of pride. And you know I have a pride problem. I say this without any pride. Our church is a perfect size to rout the Midianites. If the Lord chose to save a great number of people or to stir this city for Christ, there's no way that we could boast in it. We, we're nothing. We couldn't boast in our numbers. We couldn't boast in the beauty of our building. We couldn't boast in the, uh, the preaching that's done here. We have nothing. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians in regard to another aspect of things, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things like us. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The Lord uses Gideon's 300 men in ways that were contrary to reason. They attacked with trumpets and oil lamps inside of clay containers. They gave the appearance of a vast earthly army when in fact there were just a handful of men. And the Lord set every Midianite's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. Verse number 10. And there fell an incredible 120 
thousand men that drew the sword. That's in chapter 7, I believe. Whoop, maybe not. Chapter 8. Yes, chapter 8. God's name was magnified in Israel, and in fact throughout the whole world, through the victory that came about in part to the faith that Gideon expressed in the Lord. May God give us that faith. Pray for that kind of faith. Study that kind of faith. Put yourself in a position to receive that faith. Empty yourself. Confess your sins before the Lord. It is the key human element in the victory of God. Our ability to trust the Lord and be filled with His might. A footnote to the story might be described as the jealousy of faith. Judges chapter 8, verse number 1. And the men of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, one of the largest, if not the largest tribe in Israel, said unto Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou called us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. Wisely, perhaps providentially, Gideon didn't directly answer their question. He simply used their pride against them. Pride was their problem. He deflated a dangerous situation. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the whole vintage of my family and my tribe? You guys are everybody. You guys are everything. And I'm nothing. My people are nothing. Why wasn't Ephraim initially invited to the fight against God's enemy? As the prophet Zechariah said to, to Zerubbabel, real spiritual victory doesn't come by might or by power, but by my spirit, yes. said the Lord. Ephraim was not fit to fight in a spiritual battle. Their tribe was full of itself, full of its size and physical strength. It was filled with tribal ego and the envy which instantly displayed itself after the battle was over. If they were such a great tribe, why didn't they do something about the Midianites by themselves earlier? They're, they're, they're hollow. There's nothing there. There will always be those professing Christians who want to feast on the spoils of God's revival, but who would never be willing to make the sacrifice necessary to be really useful in the fight. And if we want to be a part of that revival, we have to be willing to deny that we're a part of the revival, if that makes any sense. If the Holy Spirit swept through Post Falls, we have to be willing to let Him take 100% of the glory. Yes. And if some church elsewhere in town says, we did it, we did it, we need to simply say, we'll let you say what you like. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. If souls are saved, it will not be because of our evangelistic skills even though we had 10 weeks of lessons on evangelism. That's not it. 
And if the Lord revolutionizes the religious nature of Deer Park or Tri-Cities or anywhere else, we have to be willing to step back and praise his name alone. Don't be jealous of what the Lord does through that other man. And even more importantly, don't be jealous of the Lord. Earlier in Judges 6, Gideon couldn't believe that the Lord called him a mighty man of valor. And then the Lord said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. This was still impossible for Gideon to believe. But then the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as if they were just one man. It is a trite old saying, but it's true nevertheless. One man with God is always a majority. 300 men, empowered and led by God, is greater than an army of 120,000 men. Paul says later on, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Am I willing to be strengthened? Am I empty enough to receive the power that the Lord has for us? When the Midianites fell before the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, that man of faith was willing to say, Look at what the Lord hath done. Praise ye the Lord. This is the key to revival. This must be a part of our hearts if we want to see the miraculous working of the Lord. Please stand. Amen.